C.E. Okwera, chapters 5 to 8. Chapter 5. Perfect wasn't enough. It turned out the baby was not Patrick's, but the damage had been done. Patrick resented Pamela for the nightmare he had to endure in clearing his name. He resented her because he had tried to motivate her and be her rock, but she had forgotten. She had forgotten that it was him that would rush home in the middle of the day when she missed client conference calls and find her drunk and slumped in her black leather and worn-out executive armchair. It was him that carried her to the shower to wake her up, dried her off and put her to bed. He came home every night with flowers, chocolates, tickets to the theatre and kisses, lots of cuddles and kisses. He constantly reminded her of her beauty and how he adored every curve of her body. He was a loving husband who only ever wanted it to be just the two of them. But that wasn't enough for her. She needed the praise of others and constant opportunities for her virtue signalling. He'd been the perfect husband, but perfect wasn't enough. Pamela didn't care that the baby was not Patrick's. She resented him for being unfaithful. She resented that she was not enough for him and that he needed a string of executive assistance. But she couldn't divorce him. She'd lose too much. She'd be left with just the house and her events. There were no children, so the parting of ways would be simple, with no ongoing support. No, she wasn't going anywhere. Not for now. She needed to plan this properly, execute it well, and then move on. She was still young, still beautiful, and well-connected. She began plotting her way out with more than just the house. It wasn't fair that she would get meagre portions when she'd been so accommodating to Patrick and his ego. It was she that he would practice speeches in front of and she would correct him, clap for him and reassure him. She provided valuable input into campaigns for female clients with her woman's point of view. She hugged him and kissed him and told him how handsome he was every time he left for work. She kept her body in shape so that he could show off his trophy wife with the brains when collecting his business awards. She wiped his tears when his father died and took on the office, the house and the funeral preparations as he was too devastated to manage things. She'd been the only constant female in his life apart from his grandmother, and unlike his mother, who ran away with one of his father's music artists, she'd remained faithful. Pamela had been the perfect wife, but perfect wasn't enough for Mr Davies. Chapter 6, March 28th It was March 28th and Pamela Davies was busy, she had a big gala planned for April 2nd and became more hysterical as the date grew nearer. The house was buzzing with deliveries, builders, gardeners and people. Lots of people. Despite the very large size of her home, it had never been used by so many inhabitants. Pamela Davies, though well known and respected, preferred her own company. Guests would rarely come to the house. Instead, she would utilise Vincenzo at the office to arrange lunch at the Palm Beach or dinner at the Pearson Rooms but never the home address. This is why this gala was even more important, because it was showcasing her home and providing a glimpse into her otherwise private life. Security systems were being maintenance checked, alarms set off, motion cameras tricked into action. All the notifications and alerts were sending Pamela's gold-plated large-screen iPhone into a frenzy. Parts of the garden that Pamela didn't bother with now needed to be considered. Flowers were planted, weeds were removed, Old garden ornaments were thrown away and new garden swing beds and fire pits were being installed. Winter had been bitter and lasted until late March. The wind was still crisp 
sharp and chilly. But Pamela's guests were promised a cigar and shisha terrace, and so this would be catered for. We will need blankets on these outdoor couches, said Pamela, as she pointed out the outdoor seating arrangements to her event planner, Kim. Of course, Mrs Davies, replied Kim. It's a shame that it's still so cold. It better not rain. No one comes out in the rain. Mother Nature, darling, April showers will need to hold out until after my gala. They laughed. We've checked again today, and the probability of rain is low, and if there is any, it will clear by 2pm, which is fine, as we start at 8pm, Kim said reassuringly. The two women laughed, pointed and talked as they walked into the large entertaining room, which was set up to host 40 guests with five per table. Candle-lit chandeliers hung above each table. The tables were round with a revolving marble centre. They each had large fuchsia-coloured orchids submerged into water-filled glass vases as the centrepiece. Pamela reviewed the rose-head-adorned nameplates with a keen interest in where she was positioned, and specifically who was sat in her group of five. To her left, the nameplate read, James T. Georgestone. James was a property tycoon with a liking for fast cars, island getaways and beautiful women. To her right was Christopher Appiah, also known as Big Chris. Christopher was from old money. He had generational wealth which he wasted on cigars, gluttonous mills and divorce settlements. The woman placed to his right was the current Mrs Appiah, wife number four. I wanted to confirm that is correct and you were quite sure you didn't require Mr Davies to be placed on this table, asked Kim. Kim, when has Patrick ever arrived on time to my events? And that's if he arrives at all. I'm not sitting next to an empty seat in my own house. Pamela was right. Mr Davies never attended her soirees. And when he did, he made a guest appearance and found an excuse to leave early. Or he arrived just before the end to take the mandatory wife and husband photo for the media outlets. Mr Davies did not like these events. Partly because, like his wife, he was happier in his own company. And partly because he would not be the most powerful man in the room. He ruled the office. He ruled his business realm. He ruled his home. But outside of arenas in which he ruled, he was quite insecure. He knew a lot about digital media and big data. But who wants to sit at dinner and talk about that for two hours? Patrick wasn't very charismatic and got away in social situations by using his good looks, his style, his swagger, his athletic silhouette and his aura of power. In a room full of powerful rich men, Patrick felt that good looks and style were second place. He didn't like anything other than first place. So his ego and insecurities would not allow him to attend his wife's events, not at least until the dinner and conversation part was over with. Dancing and taking photos and short greetings while edging towards the exits, he could do. Chapter 7. The Business Trip Fontaine, yelled Mr Davies from the doorway of his executive office at Pacific Rose HQ. Ella, who was swiping through shoe options on a red Python leather-backed iPhone with the girls from finance, got up from her desk and walked into Mr Davies's office. The office was a considerable size, with a floor-to-ceiling glass sliding door that let in a lot of light from the south-facing terrace. The terrace was situated to the right of Mr Davies's desk and had large potted green plants in black ceramic vases. There was an oak wooden bench on the terrace that was frequently used by clients, such as Big Chris, who would smoke his cigar as he detailed his requirements. The terrace was overlooked by the Icon Peninsula, a newly built hotel that housed both guests and residents. It was currently the city's most expensive apartment block. Inside, the office was decorated in muted earthy tones. 
The wall panels were upholstered in a bluish grey flannel. The large rectangular desk was walnut with a black leather writing area. The desk stood on a luxury rug of the same bluish grey tones as the wall. To the left of the desk were bespoke custom-built walnut bookshelves that showcased awards, miniature cars and a few books. A chandelier of copper hung above the desk and armchair. The armchair was dark brown leather with a walnut frame. It mirrored the chair opposite the desk. There was a large round oak table to the right of the terrace doors with four tan-coloured leather meeting room chairs that had chrome feet and black casters. Big Chris would frequently be seen spinning around in these chairs as he reviewed the outcome of his requirements. Take a seat, Mr Davis said as he pointed at the dark brown leather armchair opposite his. Ella obliged. The business travel for April 2nd. You'll have to go on your own. Pammy, my wife, has that thing she's doing and it won't be good if I don't make an appearance and show support for her little party, especially as it's being held at the house. Sure, said Ella. I hope you're comfortable with that. I'll give you the proposal and clarify my motives so you know how to steer the agenda in our favour. Perfect, I'm comfortable with that, she assured him. As you'll be missing out on the flowing champagne and canapes of the gala, you can charter a jet. I'll have Vincenzo book that for you. He smiled at his gesture. Yes, I love it. She got up and walked out of the office. I expect champagne and canapes on the plane. Of course you do, laughed Patrick. Chapter 8 April 2nd Mrs Davies wore a long black sequin dress that floated above the floor. Her toes were freshly pedicured with pastel pink nail polish. The diamante straps of her heels could be seen as she glided into the gala. There were gasps as she walked in. The dress. The sweetheart neckline of the dress enhanced her curvaceous figure and left her décolletage exposed and free to show off her white diamond necklace with a ten-carat canary-yellow cushioned diamond that lay just above her bosom. Her hair was in a braided updo, leaving the beauty of her heart-shaped face with upturned hazel eyes for all to see. Her lips were red. The lipstick colour was called Red Carpet, and how appropriate a name for this occasion. Mrs Davies was in her element as she waltzed by each table. There were air kisses, hugs and darlings galore. Her table was strategically placed so that it would be at the finish line of her welcome marathon. On her arrival at her table, she greeted and hugged each of the guests and took her seat next to James and Christopher. The revolving marble centrepiece was now filled with fruit and cheese and cuts of cold meat, caprice garlic bread, sweet chilli shrimp, olives, spicy pickled cucumbers, seared halloumi on flatbread and small trays of oysters on shaved ice. Big Chris spun the centrepiece with glee. It was 8.30pm and the gala was off to a great start. The host was gracious and glamorous. The home was warm and inviting. The food was delicious and moorish. Mm -hmm.